as punishment, his father, a man that claims to be a born-again Christian, took a tree branch and gave the child's backside a whooping. That action allegedly resulted in numerous injuries to the child, including cuts and bruises to the child's back, buttocks, ankles, legs, and genitals, along with defensive wounds to the child's hands. The child was then, several days later, taken to a previously scheduled doctor's appointment by the mother, where the injuries were observed by a doctor who then reported them, which eventually led to the indictment of the father, Minnesota Vikings star running back, Adrian Peterson, who was then indicted for reckless or negligent injury to a child. As you would expect, the incident put the debate concerning corporal, corporal punishment toward children front and center in the news. Commentator and former basketball great Charles Barkley stepped in with some explanation. He said, quote, whooping, we do it all the time. Every black parent in the South is going to be in jail under those circumstances, end quote. His point was whooping was a Southern tradition. To which another writer countered, so was slavery and segregation. CNN ran an article entitled, Spanking is not parenting, it's child abuse. And in the article, it pointed out that you can't hit a woman, you can't hit another man. The only thing you can legally hit in the United States is a child. And claimed in that article that study after study showed conclusively conclusively, that physical discipline doesn't work. Another article had a researcher that claimed that spanking led to aggression and other behavior problems like stealing and lying and makes it more likely that children will have mental problems like depression and anxiety and could lead to learning problems at school. The same expert compared spanking to using seat belts and car seats and said we are so much wiser now. We now know better than to spank. The media coverage raises some very legitimate questions. What exactly is physical discipline? And is it child abuse? And what was it when Adrian Peterson hit his four-year-old 10 to 15 times with a tree branch. Is corporal punishment effective in parenting, or is it the cause of aggressive, violent behavior and mental health issues? And have we evolved so that spanking has become the parental, uh, the parental equivalent of segregation or driving without a seatbelt? And most importantly, what does the Bible have to say about physical discipline? Those are some of the questions that we are going to attempt to answer this morning. We're going to spend our morning discussing two things. We want to talk about the rod of correction, and then we're going to briefly discuss appealing to the conscience. And um, this week, our discussion about the rod is going to focus primarily on the theological all right, the next time we talk about the rod will be after the Easter break. At that point, we'll talk about the application of it all, and we'll get uh, very um, practical 
on those things. So, so when it comes to the rod, we're going to have part one today and part two in the future. Now, we want to do similar thing this week with the rod that we did last week with communication, and that is we want to ask some basic investigative questions about it. We want to ask who, what, and why this week. That's part one. In part two, we're going to talk about how, we're going to talk about when and where. We have a number of passages that we want to see, but before we go there, I want to start with a definition for what we mean by the rod of discipline. And the author has a long definition, and I have it printed out on your paper. He says, the rod is a parent in faith toward God and faithfulness toward his or her children, undertaking the responsibility of careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment to underscore the importance of obeying God, thus rescuing the child from continuing in his foolishness until death. Okay, that's a mouthful. Okay, we're going to try to unpack that, and we're going to start by using a shorter, by shortening the definition a little bit. So what do we mean when we refer to the rod of discipline? Point number one on your paper. The rod is the careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment. Careful, timely, measured, controlled. All right, that means that striking a child in vindictive anger or striking a child long after the offense has occurred or striking a child so that it is producing marks and bruises and cuts or striking a child in any uncontrolled, unmeasured, thoughtless manner, okay, that is not, that is not, not an example of using the rod biblically. Okay, that is child abuse. When the world refers to, refers to physical discipline like that, we agree with it. Okay? We are, I am, we are, we are, we are opposed, passionately opposed to violence against children. Okay, we want to uh, get that right out and start, be very clear about that. All right, let's talk about who should be using the rod. Who uses the rod? When my kids were little, I um, sent them to a Christian school. We had a couple of different Christian schools that we went to over the years. And when you registered your child, they sat you down and they explained to you that the paddle was used at their schools. And if you were going to attend that school, you had to be prepared for that to be a possibility. With one of my children, it was a draw to go to that school. Now, uh, however, I read now, the author points out, that the use of the rod is always found in the context of the parent-child relationship. All right, and think about it, that makes sense. Because as the parent, you are God's delegate. You are God's authority. As the parent, you're the one that is committed to love and protect and, and provide for the child. As the parent, you're the one that's wiping their nose. You're the one that's getting up with them in the, in the middle of the night to comfort them. So it should be the parent. Number two, who should use the rod? Number two on your paper says, the scriptures that urge the use of the rod place it in the protected context of the parent child relationship. It's the parents that should be administering the physical discipline. Now, the good news is, 
you don't ever have to worry about spanking somebody else's child, okay? You can mark that off your list. All right, now, we are going to turn to Psalm 14. We have a number of passages that we want to study, and we're going to start there. Psalm chapter 14. Psalm chapter 14, we're going to start at verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. All right, now flip over to chapter 51, same book, Psalm 51, and look at verse 5. Verse 5 states, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay, we'll stop there. We've talked about this before in great detail when we went through Genesis chapter 3. So this morning we're going to just use the short version. The short version is, your children were born into sin. Your children were born corrupt. We talked about in lesson two, your children were born experts in idolatry. Okay, in other words, your children were not born morally neutral. You will never have to teach your child how to be sneaky. You will never have to teach your child how to be selfish. Okay, they're, they're going to become those things in spite of your best efforts. All right, your child's primary, your child's problem is that they are sinners. All right, now, if they were morally and, and ethically neutral then all they would need is instruction and guidance. Their problem would be an information deficit. In other words, you would be able to go to your child and say, honey, I need to give you some new instruction. I notice you're doing some things, and I need you to share your toys. I need you to share. This is what it looks like. And your child would go, thank you, mother. <laughs> I, I didn't know but now I do, and so I will share, okay? Now, you know, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Our children have been born with a sinful, self-centered nature. Okay, point number three on your papers. Our children are not born morally and ethically neutral. They're not born neutral. All right, so what does that mean? have to do with spanking. Okay, turn with me to Proverbs 22. Most of our reading is going to be in Proverbs from here on in. Proverbs 22, verse 15. 22, 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. All right, now let's stop there. That word folly is not talking about um, uh, a child being silly or goofy. All right, this is not talking about spanking a child so that he doesn't act childless or child childish. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, this is the folly that says in their heart, there is no God. You see, your children were born saying, uh, there is no God. I will be my own ruler. I will have my own agenda. Okay, and according to this passage, the rod of discipline, 
which is to be used by the parent of the child, it drives that foolishness from him. All right, so next on our form, number four, the rod is the God-ordained and God-approved discipline for their sinful condition. God's word is saying, parents, your children are born with hearts that are turning and that are running from me. And you, as my delegate, you will use the form that I have ordained to turn their hearts back to me. Okay? The rod is going to be the key tool for driving out foolishness. All right, let's look at another passage like this. Turn to Proverbs 19, verse 18. Proverbs 19:18 says discipline your son for there is hope do not set your heart on putting him do not set your heart on putting him to death All right now flip over to Proverbs 23 Proverbs 23 verse 13 23:13 says do not withhold discipline from a child if you strike him with the rod he will not die if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Okay, the sinful nature of a child means that he is on a trajectory headed for death. Okay, unless if he is not, if that is not challenged. All right, now the use, the correct use of the rod is going to help challenge that. All right, so next point on our paper. Number five, faithful and timely use of the rod is a means of rescue. It's a means of rescue. As a parent, you use the rod because you are on a rescue mission. Okay? You know that your children are born, they want to be their own gods. And you know that when a child refuses to be under authority, he is in a place of danger. Okay, and so, and according to Proverbs, when you use the rod, you help rescue him from danger. All right, and can I just say something? This is what helped me, gave me the confidence to use the rod on my children when the people around me were doing other things. When I was raising children, it was not fashionable to spank your children. And yet I, I knew, I didn't totally understand it all, but I knew that it was God's way. And I, and I sensed that there was something more at stake here than just behavior. I sensed that there was a battle for the hearts of my children. And so I wanted to align with what God had ordained. I, I wanted to be a part of the rescue mission. Okay, let's turn to Proverbs 13, 13.24, and we want to see another reason why we want to use the rod. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Okay, have you ever heard someone say, Oh, I just love my child too much to spank him? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the implication is that spanking isn't a loving action. Okay, but the word of God is showing us something very different here. The word of God is saying, if you love your child, you will not be a willing party to his spiritual destruction. And so you will use the means that I have provided. Okay? So, oh, 
and even if it makes you uncomfortable. All right. Okay, next point answers the question why we use the rod. Number six, the biblical use of the rod assures the child of the parent's love and commitment. I can honestly say that not once after I spanked my child did they ever accuse me of not loving them. They had many struggles in life, but wondering if we loved them was not one of them. Okay? It, it, is, it, it, it didn't go there. Now, and also, I would point out that my kids at a very young age came back to thank us for spanking them. Once they started watching other people's kids and working in after-school daycares and things like that, they came back and said, thank you for spanking us. So um, that's, don't worry about not being loved. Okay, next reason. Number seven. The biblical use of the rod is commanded by God and is an act of obedience and faith on the part of the parent. It's an act of obedience and faith. All right, when you use the rod, you don't use it because you're determined to punish the child. You use it because you are determined to obey. When you correctly use the rod, you are saying to your children, uh, we will do things God's way in this home. You're saying to your children, we understand the dangerous condition that you are in, and we are going to apply God's remedy to that. You're telling your children, listen, I do this because I am under authority. When you correctly use the rod, you are teaching your children to trust in God's methods. The world is going to be telling you to use other methods, but this is the one that God has ordained. We can't explain it completely, but we trust in God's wisdom. Now, the world is going to be telling you to use other things. A big one is time out. And uh, the author points out, and, and I would agree, that we're not, we're not saying that you can't use that, that you can't incorporate it. There are times when your kids need to sit down and calm down. Okay, we're not saying you can't use this. The problem is we, we use this method and other methods as substitutes. We begin to replace physical discipline or substitute other things for physical discipline. And those other methods just have not been ordained by God as this one in the same way. All right, next, let's turn to chapter 29 of Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 17. Proverbs um, 29, 17 says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. All right, another common argument. People will often say, I'm afraid to spank my child because I'm afraid it will teach him to be rebellious. It will teach him to be angry. I'm afraid that if I teach, uh, if I uh, use the rod, it will, I will encourage him to be violent and aggressive. Okay, uh teach him maybe to hit other children. Right now, let's be clear. If you are spanking in anger, if you are spanking in any uncontrolled way, that's exactly, that's a, that's a possibility for sure. Okay, but if your approach is biblical, if your approach is controlled, that is, that is not going to be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. Um, this, this argument always makes me think of my boys who were spanked, and they were accused of many things, but they were never accused of being angry or aggressive or violent. It, it, 
It just wasn't. I never had to worry about them throwing a punch or starting a fight at school. It just, it just, it, it just wasn't. Um, now, I will say this. I had to worry about other things, but, I, I, but them being having an uh, aggressive, violent temperament, that, that was just not, not an issue. Now, um, I will say this. When, when they were babies in arms, you know, they, they, they would smack people in the nursery and, you know, hit people in the face. They did that, and we would stop it. I mean, babies do that, and we would stop it and deal with it as, as we could with, with a, a young baby. But once they got old enough for spankings, then, then we definitely saw the aggression diminish and the self-control began to increase, okay, with the spankings. Okay, now, I remember watching the dynamics um, of my neighborhood when my kids were little. There were some uh, neighbor boys that they uh, lived next to us, and they were rather untamed and unruly, and their parents did not believe in spanking. They were very educated. They wanted to... Um, uh, a reason and talk to the child so they didn't use the spanking. And there were a couple of things that you could always count on anytime uh, you played with, with those fellows. Um, first of all, uh, something would be broken. Count on it. And then the second thing is somebody would need first aid. It was just, it just, it was going to happen. When they, when they entered the scene, there was just chaos. Okay? And so, um, which leads us to our next point. Eight. The biblical use of the rod will lead to peace and delight. Okay, the rod brings peace, all right? If, if it is used correctly, it is not going to encourage violent, aggressive, chaotic behavior. It brings peace, okay? It brings peace and delight. Okay, next, we have one less uh, proverb to look at. Proverbs 29, 15. And this is a good one. Proverbs 29, 15. It tells us, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. All right, the rod and the reproof bring wisdom. The rod and reproof teach a child that principle that we talked about last week, that principle of sowing and reaping. Okay, child, if you did this, if you sow this, then you're going to, you're going to reap that. You sow what you reap. All right, the author also uh, puts it this way. He says it provides an immediate tactile demonstration of the foolishness of rebellion. You see, um, it is going to get the, kids, the child's attention. It gets the child's attention and it humbles him. And it creates an atmosphere where now you can have a discussion. Now you can teach wisdom. Now they can learn wisdom. All right? So number nine on our paper, the biblical use of the rod humbles the child and gives wisdom. Humbles the child and gives wisdom. Now the book discussed some of the arguments that you come across and, and for reasons people don't spank and, and why they say it doesn't work. Now we're going to hit more of that when we get into the practical side. Um, you can talk about it in your small group, but we'll be revisiting that in the weeks to come. Okay, let's talk about the rod is going to be used to get the child's attention and humble the child, but once you have their attention, now what do you do? Where do you go from there? Well, that's going to introduce our next topic about appealing to the conscience. Whether you're using rich communication or the rod of discipline, our target is going to be to appeal to the conscience. If you're correcting, if you're correcting and your discipline is going to be effective then we have to appeal to the conscience 
and lead them to the cross. Okay, the author put it this way. The rod gets the attention, but the conscience must be plowed up and planted with the truth of God's way. All right, what do we mean by the conscience? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 2. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2, verse 12. He talks about this in the homework. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Okay, let's, get, let's start with a good definition for what we mean when we speak of the conscience. And so our next point, number one, the conscience is the God-given reasoning capacity that distinguishes issues of right and wrong. Right? It's that inner reasoning factor that God has given to us to help us reason between right and wrong, to distinguish between good and evil. And according to this Romans passage, your conscience, your child's conscience, it is either excusing or accusing them in their thoughts. It's either condemning or condoning. All right? Now, here's the thing. This is unique to humans. Okay? Uh, you do not, your pets do not have a conscience. All right? So if you have, uh, let's say you have a dog, your dog may be bad, and you may call it a bad dog, and you may point your finger at his, that dog, and you may send him to his crate, but you are not going to appeal to their conscience. You're not going to try to appeal to his moral sense of right and wrong. All right? Now, why is that? Well, for, first of all, because your dog does not have a conscience. He has not been created in the image of God. But secondly, because with your dog, your primary concern is their behavior, okay? When, when you, with little Fido, your primary concern is their behavior, okay? You're, you're, you don't want them to repeat bad behavior, but you're not worried about their relationship with God, okay? You're not worried that their behavior is going to take them on a path where it'll increase in wickedness and, and his, he'll be, become morally more and more uh, spiritually destructive. Okay, but that's not the case with a child. All right, with a child, it's different. Okay, your child has been created in the image of God and has been given a conscience that God has given him a conscience to help distinguish the issues of right and wrong and you want to appeal to that. Now, by way of example, the author uses a number of passages about Jesus. You had some of those in your homework. And he pointed out that when Jesus, particularly when he was speaking to the Pharisees, he always appealed to the conscience, always appealed to their sense of right and wrong. All right, our next point, number two on your paper. If your correction and discipline is to find its mark, then the conscience is your ally. 
Okay, your conscience is your ally, all right? So how do you appeal to the conscience? How do you reason with the child's conscience? How do you make it your ally? Well, I wanna start by clarifying, this is going to look different depending on the age of your child, okay? You're not going to get into a lot of great reasoning with a two-year-old. And uh, we'll talk more about that in, in the weeks to come. Our primary, our, the, the primary method that we wanna talk about today uh, to appeal to the conscience or to reason to the conscience is going to be to use the word of God. All right, now I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, popular passage. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, did you see what the word of God does to the heart? Okay, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Some of your versions may say it judges. Okay, it pierces. All right, now let me remind you, your vocabulary comes with no such guarantees. Your words, your ideas, they are not living and active. They are not sharper than any two-edged sword. That can only be said of God's word. Okay? Now, the problem is, it's very easy when you have a problem and you're talking to your kids, you get into these discussions, you get into debates, and you get off track. And you don't use God's word. God's word isn't the focus. You're using your words. You're using your own ideas. And you know what? The heart is not pierced. The, the thoughts and intentions of the heart are not judged. All right. Next point. Number three on your paper. The Spirit of God authenticates the scriptures and applies them to the conscience. All right, that is a fancy way of saying that the Spirit of God works together with the Word of God. All right? Okay, and then applies it to the conscience. So you want to be using the Word of God as directed by the Spirit of God to appeal to the conscience of your children. God's word is going to be your primary tool under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I want to add that. Okay, number four. Four in your paper. The appeal to the conscience addresses the heart by exposing sin. Now, you're going to feel like a broken record because every time there is a problem or you're correcting or you're disciplining, it's about sin. It's all about sin. So you want to be appealing to a, the conscience to expose the sin, to get the sin on the table, to help the child understand the sin so that then you can actually help the child. All right, next point, something that goes along with this. Number five, the appeal to the conscience addresses the heart's inability to obey. All right, and the, and the author talked about this, and I want to explain our goal is not to give our children a list of rules or, or a standard that they can keep. Our goal is to be continually be putting before them that there is a standard that is impossible to keep. We cannot keep it. We need grace. 
We need the cross. Apart from the work of Christ in our heart, we, we are doomed. Now, what I'd like to do is I'm going to give you an example that will hopefully help pull all of this together. Um, when my kids were younger, like I said, they, they all went to this little uh, Christian school. It was out in the country. And one day, uh, one of my, my oldest, he was in sixth grade, one day his teacher came to me and said that he needed to talk to me about my son. He was uh, something that he was seeing go on in, among the class, and he wanted to talk to me about it. Now, this son was well-behaved. Uh, he was getting good grades. I thought the teacher was coming to praise me about my son. But that's not why he was coming to talk to me. He said... Uh, I just was seeing some things in class, and he fumbled. He fumbled around with his words. He didn't quite know how to say things. And then he said, and he just blurted out, he's arrogant. And when he said that, I could feel my lips start to quiver. And I, could, I started to do this with my eyes, that thing you do, where you hold, you're, you just, you're trying to force your eyes to stay open because you can tell they're filling with tears. And I just, I thought... I don't want to cry in front of this man. What I wanted to do is, was just find some closet where I could just wail. I'd, I'd just cry. I thought I could not imagine a worse adjective to have someone use to describe your child. I was trying to raise a godly, compassionate young man, and that teacher all but stood in front of me and said, your child is opposite. And so I sat there, stood there, and tried to stay composed while he explained to me the situation and what made him say those things and had a carload of kids I had to carpool home, so we loaded up the van and I made my stops and finally I got home and I uh, pulled my son into my room and I just started to ask him, how was your day? Could he talk? He was very chatty. And I said, uh, we talked. I said, uh, what about so-and-so? Oh, and he talked about him, talked, explained all about that fellow. And I said, and what about this fellow? And he talked about that fellow. And as he talked, I could hear it. I could hear it in his, I could hear it in his uh, conversation. He, uh, the things that the teacher had been trying to ex had explain to me, I could hear it. I could hear he thought he was better than his classmates. I could hear the boasting. And uh, in hindsight, I probably should have seen it and addressed it, but I didn't. So he went on, and finally he said, um, you know what I do with Brandon? Now, Brandon was his best friend. And I said, well, no, what, what do you do? He said, um, I've got a little piece of paper and I have it on the corner of my desk. And every time Brandon does something against me, I make a mark on it. I said, oh, oh do you now? <laughs> but you know, when he said that, the Lord brought a verse to my mind. And so I opened my Bible, and I opened it up to 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> and I handed it to him, and I said, um, could you start at verse 4 and read it out loud? And so he started to read. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful 
or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. Now at that point, he stopped. And I literally watched the color drain from his face. <laughs> and he said to me, how did you know about this? <laughs> I didn't take the time to explain. It's like the most famous passage in all the Bible. <laughs> but, but I did say, you know, sweetie, you've been keeping a record of wrong. But you see, he already knew that. Because the Spirit of God authenticates the Word of God and then applies it to the conscience. The Spirit of God had taken the Word of God and had already convicted him of his pride and his boasting and his demanding his own way and his record-keeping. God's Word had done that. He was very shaken by it. Because the word of God pierces the heart. The word of God judges the hearts and intentions of, of the heart. So uh, he was very repentive, and we talked about how he was going to need to humble himself before God. And in this case, that was going to mean humbling himself before his classmates. We talked about what that would look like. You know, if he was to love and be kind to his classmates, then we were going to have to address boasting and pride and, and making sure you were the boss on the playground, that kind of thing. Uh, one of the things that I recommended was that since his offense was very showy and very public, I said your apology should probably be as well. So he agreed. He, his plan was to go back to his class. It was just a little small class. To go back and apologize to his class and seek forgiveness, which he did. He said they looked at him like he was crazy. They didn't get any of it, but it, you know, it didn't matter because he was just, it was a freeing experience for him. In the days to come, I did everything I could to avoid his teacher. I, um, I, I just, I thought, I can't handle it. If he comes back and tells me any more criticism, I, I will cry. I just, I, I just can't. So I just tried to stay out of his way. And, um, but I was at the school a lot. I was involved. And so uh, finally one day, he tracked me down. I said, oh, Mrs. Giesler, you know, can I, can I speak with you? And I said, yes. And he said, I just wanted to update you on the situation we talked about. And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, um, wanted you to know, different kid. He said, different kid. And then once again, I'm standing in front of him <laughs> doing that eye thing. Except this time, it was because I had seen the mercy of God. I seen the mercy and the power of God on sinful people. Ladies, the Spirit of God authenticates the Word of God and applies it to the heart. Now, Kids react differently, kids respond differently, and there is no guarantee how your child will respond. But hear me, it doesn't matter. Because you want to be found faithful. You want to be found faithful. 
And so you want to be continually taking them to the word of God, showing them the word of God, and being led by the spirit of God, and allowing the spirit to convict and convince their hearts. My son, in that situation, he had been doing his homework. He'd been obeying the teacher from one perspective. He was keeping the rules. He was being a good person. But you know what? God's ways are higher. His standards are higher. And our children must see that they cannot keep them apart from humbling themselves and putting themselves on their face before God and turning to him, to turn to the cross. Our last point, question number, point number six, discipline and correction should lead to the cross where children can find mercy, forgiveness, and power to live godly lives. Mercy, forgiveness, and power. Let's pray. Let's close. Father, excuse me, we thank you for your word. We praise you that you use it, that your spirit convicts the word of God and then uses it to convict and guide and lead our hearts. I pray that you will help these women learn and grow in your word. You will bring it to their minds when they're dealing and talking with their children. I pray that their homes will know the power of the mercy of God. We ask all these things in the name of the one who delivers us and offers forgiveness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.